Big data is something we hear a lot about this, uh, this whole field emerging now of data science, understanding how we use the data points, right? The details about our customers to not only create better guest experiences for those customers, but to actually find ways to attract and entice those customers to come back in. This is a really great episode. My guest on today's show uh, is talking all about that. We get into a lot of really interesting uh, areas, including this idea of uh, personalization, or hyper-personalization. And if you think all of this is reserved just for big companies with big budgets, you are absolutely wrong. There are little steps you can take right now. We share uh, a couple of really cool stories. Kelly uh, on today's show shares some really, really interesting case studies uh, about companies that she's worked with and how they are implementing uh, the details and the data that they gather from their people to create better experiences to uh, to resonate uh, more deeply with those people. Stick around. This is a good good one. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast dedicated entirely to the hospitality industry. We cover marketing operations and just about everything in between. Each week, I leverage my 20 plus years in the industry to help you build a more profitable and a more sustainable business. I also work directly with operators and owners all over the world through my group coaching programs to address and overcome the specific challenges we face in our industry. Curious to learn more? Set up a free 45-minute strategy session by visiting restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Let me show you how simple it can be to run a profitable restaurant. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, you will find that link in the show notes. Now, thousands of restaurants across the country use KickFin to send instant cashless tip payouts directly to their employees' bank accounts the second their shift ends. It's a really simple solution to a really big problem. Because let's face it, paying out cash tips to your workers day after day, shift after shift, is kind of a nightmare. Tedious tip distribution takes managers away from work that matters. It's hard to track payments, which leads to accounting and compliance headaches. Plus, cash tip-outs create the perfect opportunity for theft, and there's never enough cash on hand to pay out those tips. So, managers are constantly having to make bank runs. Bottom line, there's never been a secure, efficient way to tip out until now. Meet Kickfin. KickFin is an easy-to-use software that sends real-time cashless tip payouts straight to your employees' bank accounts 24-7, 365 days a year. Tipping out with KickFin gives managers and operators hours back in their day. It makes reporting a breeze and protects your business from mistakes and theft. And employees love it, so it's one of the best recruiting tools out there. Best of all, restaurants can have KickFin up and running overnight. Employees can enroll in seconds, no hardware, no contracts, no setup fees. Get in touch today for a personalized demo and see how restaurants and bars across the country are tipping out with KickFin. Visit kickfin.com slash demo. That link is also in the show notes. So my guest on today's episode is Kelly Zimmerman, who is the president and CRO of a company called Brightloom. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chip. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being here. It's my pleasure. Uh, there's a lot of stuff we want to get to because uh, because uh, I love uh, I love the way that you're approaching sort of restaurant marketing and um, how we think about our customers and the relationships we're building with our customers and all of that. Um, I think this conversation is going to touch upon a lot of the things that the listeners will recognize from the last, I'd say, 20 or 30 episodes. Uh, a lot of the things that, uh, that we were talking about before uh, we started hitting record um, is stuff that's very, very interesting to me. So uh, we're going to get to all that more, but it's probably a good place to start for you to just explain to the listeners what Brightloom is, how long you guys been around, and uh, and what exactly you do. The thing that we get up every day and think about here at Brightloom is how do we help restaurant brands 
really build strong, enduring relationships with their customers. Our platform that we've been working on for about three years now, um, you know, quite frankly, has really is really has really benefited even from the um, the pandemic and some of the things that have happened right within the industry over the last three years. But our platform is designed to take in a bunch of data, whether it's customer data, POS data. We've got great connections to things like Square and Toast and others. And it's to really bring that data back to, to the marketer, the person who sits within the restaurant that does a lot of the marketing today. And assess like, what's my data telling me? What do I need to go do next? How do I engage my customer in a way that's really going to make it relevant the next time they experience, you know, my my brand or my email or even the the, the SMS touch that I that I put in front of them. So we're really trying to unlock data and make the marketer's job easier and assessing what do they need to do next to build a stronger relationship with their customer. So much of what I talk about on this show and I talk about with my clients is about keeping things actionable, which is what I love. This is about so much of uh, taking the information, uh, learning what we need to learn so that we can do what we need to do. Can you give me, or I guess before we get into some examples, because I, I want to get into this, I, I want to back up a little bit and you work with a bunch of different brands here. Who, who are some of the brands that are, that, are, um, that are utilizing the software thus far? Uh, we work with brands of all sizes. We really, um, I think, resonate the best with kind of that SMB brand. You know, we do work with brands like El Polo Loco, right, on one of the spectrum. Um, we're working right now with brands like Sweet Republic and Honey Brains, brands that are one to five to ten, you know, chain restaurants that might also have an online presence. You know, that really is kind of our sweet spot. Okay, cool. So... Talk to me because you talk a lot about about data, and I, I, I've said on this show before. Um, I will say it for your benefit, but um, data is nothing new. We've had data right. forever and ever and ever. For a little while, it existed in a giant reservation book or in somebody's in a maitre d's notebook or in a general manager's notebook. Um, then for a while, I mean, for the last thirty years, we've had tools like Open Table in restaurants where we can keep plenty of track of people's data. Um, what they like, where they like to sit, when their birthday is, what their wife's name is, their kid's name, on and on. We've had, that's data. Those are all just data points. And we've used that data, uh, at least in full service restaurants. And I, I particularly come from, uh, from a fine dining background. But in the past, we've used that data to make for a better guest experience the next time that guest comes back in. And that was invaluable for two decades. But then we realized we were leaving something on the table, or at least that that became apparent to me, because while we could use that to make sure they had a better experience next time they came in, we couldn't necessarily use that data to make sure that they came back in. And I think that's the name of the game. A lot of the uh, the software companies that are out there, and I know a lot of really smart people, uh, it seems like you guys are trying to solve this exact thing. How can we use data to better engage um our customer base so that they become more regular customers, more frequent customers. How did you begin down that road? And, and I guess this is probably a little bit of uh, getting into the origin of the company, but how did you guys recognize this as a problem and a solution that you could, uh, that you could provide? And, and how did you go about doing or getting to the place that you're at now? You bet. It's, it's a really good question. You know, I'll be very transparent and humble and say that when we first set out on this mission, it really was to, to create a platform that could deliver personalization. How do you know what to send to who, when, where, and how? And we wanted to make that, you know, the same capabilities that let's say Starbucks has, how do we bring that to life for a small brand, you know, and make it just point and click that easy? That was really our whole initial mission about three years ago. But what we learn, and to your point, there's a lot of data out there. I mean, brands are collecting data all the time now, whether it's through you know a loyalty program maybe that they're launching or POS systems, et cetera. And we quickly came to realize that your data is only good if it's good, right? It can only really work for you <laughs> if it's good. Or so what do you mean by that? Sure. I love it. I mean, it's funny. You're right. It's only good if it's good. But what do you mean by that? What's the... Talk to me about the about the difference between good data and bad data. Yeah, um, good data to me looks something like you can 
create a story for a customer, right? Based on the inputs that you received over time, right? You never get all the, the, the data that you need from for a customer overnight, right? Within one transaction. Right. It's like, how do you continue to create and evolve a story for the customer? And that story needs to be like, what is the customer going to go do next, right? And how do I help either Mm -hmm. push them along, right? Or pull them back through, right? To your point around frequency, recency, right? Like, how do you monetize that relationship? Yeah. And so good data to me, you have to have the, the right data set to know how to evolve that prediction, right? So you have to have the POS data. Yeah. I'll tell you, the, we just launched something that's that's pretty cool called a data health report. Well, what we're seeing as a trend right now in a lot of the POS systems, right? I'll give you a, a good example here, is that they're enabling chip card readers, right? So you can pay by chip. Easy transaction makes it really useful for the customer. Right. Unfortunately, right, the, the restaurant or the brand gets very little data from that type of a transaction. And in fact, some of the POSs actually create havoc behind the scenes with those transactions in that they replicate the same customer over and over and over because they don't know that it's the same customer. Hmm. So when I talk about good data, I talk about consistent and clean, right? that I know that it's consistently collecting the same amount of information through whatever payment engine I'm using Mm -hmm. and that it's clean. There are no duplicates, right? I can connect a customer name to a credit card transaction and their, their behavioral trends for, let's say, since they've been a a customer of mine. I think those are the three key data points. Mm -hmm. Majority of brands struggle today pulling those three data points together and creating that one story that you can then work from. So, I mean, I love that. This is really interesting. So, talk to me about. Um, so, talk to me about a story. What would a what would a a good story, a, a usable story, look like? And how do you then take action on on what that story tells you? Sure. I'll give you maybe more. Maybe I'll take it from a different angle. If you're okay, Chip. I, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll take it from a problem that as we began working with a, a customer, um, a Square customer, in fact, the, the, the challenges that we surfaced is they were trying to u- utilize their data, right? Make sure they had the right data and utilize it. I think we all know it's pretty fair to say that the top 5%, right, of any, of any brand out there or restaurant, the top 5% of their customers typically generate, you know, anywhere between 15 and 30%. In this particular scenario, the top 5% was actually generating over 30% okay, of this restaurant's revenue. Pretty darn good, yeah. right? Very loyal customers. Yeah. Love it. Unfortunately, she only had contactability with half. Yeah. So the top 5% of your customers that are generating such an important revenue fact for you, you don't know how to reach them, right? Yeah. Yeah. So whether it was an email address or a phone number, uh, there was no way in which that brand could actually reach the customer. And so one of the first steps we worked on with her is creating a mechanism to collect that information and align it so she then could t- could unlock those customers. So then how did you guys do that? I mean, what were what were some of the ways to solve that particular problem? In this particular scenario, because we, we understand the Square platform so well, we actually had her do a few things, one of which was turn off a, a, a fancy mechanism that they've built, which calls auto, I think it's called automagic profiling or something like that. There's there's functionality within the POS, right? That sometimes create the problem. And that was the one for her. So we, 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 we did that. We also encouraged her to create, you know, she's probably not quite ready for a loyalty program, right? To actually, that's a, a lot, right? To take on, build a loyalty program, yeah, sure. points, rewards. So we encouraged her to create more like a membership program. How do you, when with these top, let's say 5% of your customers, how do you encourage them to share some information with you and, and maybe incentivize them through this additional layer of, uh, let's say, access to more interesting things, being a top 5% of their customer base, to then share some of that contactability information back to her so she then could, could, could leverage it? 
And she did that. It took her about, I would say 90 days to get it to, to a much better contactability rate with her and her lift and the transactions just in that top 5% was about 10%, which is pretty incredible, right? It just proves to you that if you relay a good message yeah. to your customer, they will react and they will bring you, you know, they, it will bring you two closer together. This reminds me a lot of uh, what Peter Fader has written and talked about for years. He's a professor at Wharton. He talks about his book called Customer Centricity. Yeah. Um, and he talks about the sort of greater personalization as we move forward. And um, he shares his, uh, it's a data point that he shares of, you know, as much as 30 or 40% of a company's revenue often comes from the top, you know, five, you know just five or 7% of their customer base. He was a guest on this show a couple of years back and he's somebody I admire a great deal, but um, this was a, a large part of what I spoke with him about. So I love that we're talking about this. Talk about, before we, I wanna talk about personalization, mm -hmm. but before we do that, I, I feel like I, I wanna take a step back because this is something I spend a great deal of time talking about both here on the show with my clients and when I go and speak all around the country. And I talk about um, using technology um, to help us do our job better. And a lot of people are resistant. The number of um, the number of restaurants out there that still don't have an email list blows my mind. Or people who have started an email list at my urging, uh, but still don't utilize the email list, let alone SMS or you know any of the other options options out there. So, as you look, I mean, a lot of the people who contact you are aware of a problem, looking for a solution and all of that. So they're already down that road. How do you like to think about, I guess, the way that we contact our people and using technology and all of that for, for all the people who are sort of sitting on the, um, on the chairs, afraid to jump in the pool? How, how should they begin to think about, about all of this and their business? I mean, I hate to use this cliche word, but I think this is table stakes at this point, right? And for me, you know, I would really challenge those that are standing on the sidelines because if you don't get the table stakes down, right? I mean, think of all the press we see right now, right? Around cookies getting harder to create. I mean, there's so many pressures right now around the ability to be digital, right? You know, people privacy mm -hmm. rules and law, like right now is the time, right? To really capture the table yep. stake because it's gonna get a lot more interesting, I think here over the next three to five years. So just to back up a little bit for people who don't know what we're talking about, right? That it's gonna be, it's getting more difficult. It's already become more difficult to sort of track people across the internet. Um, which is a large part of how marketers um, market, target, retarget, remarket um, on on the internet in various different places. Um, but that's getting more and more difficult. And as algorithms continue to change on all the platforms, as some platforms fade away and new ones rise up, um, there are new audiences we have to build, new relationships with new audiences we have to build. But a list, an SMS list, a list of phone numbers where we can text, a list of email addresses of customers that we've had in the past is um, it's an asset. It's something we it's we own, and so thus we own that relationship. I mean, that's that's what you're getting to, right? That's you nailed it. That's right. You got to capture the 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 con the the contactable information right now, right through email and SMS, because the other channels is just going to get harder and harder. Yeah, and and we're already seeing it. It will continue to. Well, I mean, especially in Europe, any anybody I've talked to over there, it's it's a whole different thing over there. And and when we talk about you know cookies and you know sort of pixel tracking and stuff like that, it's it's so different over there. We're very lucky in this country. Yeah, we are. You know, and it, it's funny too because internally we often say, you know, we ask ourselves, is email dead? Right? Is email dying? Right? It's been around for a while, but we actually believe it's going to become one of the best ways to communicate with your customer over the next few years because of all these other pressures that we we were highlighting so get the email address capture it and 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 continue to fulfill the data around that email address that that will really set you up for a long-term successful relationship 
so talk to me about the the rest of the data, meaning how frequently they come, you know, again, frequency, recency, and monetary spend, the, the trifecta for marketers here. Um, what else, or is it about triangulating, tri- triangulating that? Yeah, uh, you know, we, we see it actually in three key steps, right? Almost like three milestones. If I were, you know, a brand thinking about this for the first time, these are the three steps I'd kind of work through. First is the thing that we've just really been talking about, which is make sure I have the right data, right? To, to, that I'm capturing it. I know uh, where my gaps are. I know what my contactability rate is, et cetera. Get, once you get that, move to the next layer here, which is really starting to utilize it. How do I make sense of the data? How do I understand my customers? How do I develop You know what you and I were talking about earlier, this ability to react or be athletic, right? As my customer behavior changes, if I see trends, how do I evolve the way in which I'm engaging them to, to even better, to make my relationship with them stronger? And then once you've got those two first key pillars, then you can work on the action piece, right? Which are things like enabling personalization or really smart segmentation or, you know, churn campaigns, right? How do I bring my customer back that hasn't frequented in their normal frequency period? Um, Those are kind of the three steps or stages that we work brands through as they get to kind of this most optimal state, which is taking the right action with the right customer at the right time. But what I'll say, and I know tech, we talked about tech, it's scary, right? Yeah. Our job at Right is to not make, this is not scary. In fact, this is something you should get really excited about. You are, you're growing your reoccurring revenue, right? Through, you know, your data. Like that's pretty exciting, right? You got to get really excited about that piece. And our job is to make that really easy for the brands so that, you know, they don't have to think about or or take, we, we really try and take the guesswork out and tell them, here's what you need to go do. Here's what your data is saying. Here are the top five things that could make a really big impact in your business. I um, I am a fan of technology. I spend a lot of time traveling the country talking about uh, specifically the intersection of hospitality and tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of my colleagues and friends is a guy named Sean Walshef, uh, who's got a couple podcasts of his own. He's got a restaurant out in California called Cali Barbecue. And he, um, he often says, he's like, we are living in unprecedented times. We have okay. unprecedented um, access to people who want what we have or might want we, what we have. And, and people 20 years ago, let alone 200 years ago, would have died to be able to know the things that we know or that we can learn and to be able to engage and re-engage with our people the way that we're able to. And if we're not utilizing the tools we have right now, we're missing the best part of being alive right now when we're when we're doing business. It's a it's a good time to be in business. It really is. And you know, to your point, like data and everything that brands are 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 able to do today, it's gold, right? It's it's there for you to take advantage of, right? And to really democratize. And yeah. that's, that's up, you know, to the to the owner, to the marketer. They've got to take the first step, um, but once they do, they'll never look back. And that's you know why I'm excited to be talking to you today. I'm such a fan, me personally, as a consumer. I'm such a fan of these tools that exist. And I know, and I know people push back and they say, "Oh, but privacy concerns and all of this." I said, "We get sold to every minute of every day for my entire life. Mm-hmm. Now I just get sold stuff that I actually care about." Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, I love, I, I love. The tracking. I love pixels. I love. I like being reminded about something that I was interested in. Um, we can talk about self control and and debt and whether it's the consumer culture we have right now. We could certainly have a conversation about that. Mm-hmm. But as a consumer, I want to be shown things that I am more apt to be interested in. And as a merchant, now again taking myself out of the consumer role, but as a as a business person, as a as a business owner. Um, which I am, which I, you know, I coach tons of business owners. I want them to find other people who want what they have, right? Like I, I want to find people who want what I have, who need what I have. And that's all, a, that's all a good thing, I think. I completely agree. 
you know, the, the age in which we live, there's a lot coming at us mm-hmm. every minute, right? I'm sure we've each received 15 emails and 15 texts, right? While we've been on this call, it has to be relevant, right? For me to even think about what you're trying to, to, to position to me. If I take just a, a quick second to review and it doesn't feel relevant, I'm off. It's I'm on to the next thing. Yep. You got to You get such a short window of time to capture the customer. It's got to be relevant, and it has to connect. It, it's it's so true. It's funny because I recently signed up. You know, the New York Times has this great uh, app that's a spinoff called The Athletic, and it's a uh, it's sports news, right? So it's a bunch of sports writers, essays, you know, editorials about stuff. But when you log on and you sign up for the app, um, which is free with my New York Times subscription, I go in and tell them what teams I'm interested in. And so what they do is they deliver all the news that I'm interested in, and then some giant headlines that they think I might be interested in. And then it triggers also a a personally curated newsletter every morning that literally has the news that I'm going definitely going to be interested in with the teams that I follow. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of stuff that I might be interested in because they've learned this is these are the sports I'm most interested in, the teams, the leagues, the well, if he's interested in that, we might be able to convince him. And I'm sure all that data is helping them for advertising and all that. And I don't care. I like it because it's giving me a better experience. Like they're providing value for me. They're cutting out. I don't have to scroll and find the stories I'm interested in. They're just giving me the stories that I'm interested in. And I think they're doing a great service to us. And I understand as a you know as an intelligent consumer that there's also then advertising implications there and i embrace it because the value they provide is worth it that's right it's so funny you bring up that that example because we're actually working with a a wings brand right now who has a very high frequency of sports you know advocates they come in watch the game and so now as part of their onboarding process bringing a customer in for the first time through their online, let's say their ordering experience, they're asking, right? Which teams are your favorite? Oh, Isn't that cool? I love Isn't that. that. Cool? I love that. No. And so now, right, through all of their digital, you know, engagement with these customers, they can actually, you know, really reference the sports teams that are most exciting to them when they have different events going on. They know who to target. I mean, it's like the biggest unlock, right? And it's such a simple component right to incorporate it's great it's but it's not that so now we talk about personalization now let's talk about netflix right now we know netflix when you scroll in you see all like the tiles for all the different movies or shows now we know that netflix builds six seven eight different cover photos and they show them to different people based on who's logged in which one am i most apt to respond to right like it's the same you can imagine a steelers fan would get an email that would have another Steelers fan in the image that's in the email, right? Same message. We're sending the same message to everybody even, but it's personalized so that they happen to see a Steeler, a bunch of Steelers fans cheering and having wings. And they don't even think, oh, I've been, uh, I've been uh, manipulated in some way because it feels authentic and honest and earnest because it is. Some company goes to the effort of learning something about it and then doing something about that so that it resonates more positively in the light of the consumer. It's like the, like the world is our oyster moving forward. It really is. We talk a lot about the kind of the emotional spectrum even, right, of the consumer today. They're on one end, it's a very transactional, let's say, thinker, right, or engagement all the way up to this very emotionally charged relationship, right? And I always like to push brands on thinking about get out of the transactional pieces. Like how can you connect emotionally, right, with your customer through everything you do, right? And when you kind of think about it and flip it a bit on its head, it's interesting the ideas that surface. Well, this is something we learned in uh, in uh, in business school, right? And when you start looking at sort of marketing, advertising, and sociology, right? That we make decisions yeah. based on emotion and we justify those yeah. decisions with our own logic. Often, sometimes a warped sense of logic. We, we justify, we rationalize things, but we make our decisions based on emotion, always. Pop Menu has reimagined the restaurant. They're breaking the mold of the menu, taking the kitchen doors off the hinges, and serving up their most comprehensive technology solution yet, Pop Menu Max. 
comes with the previous ingredients you've heard me mention on the podcast, websites designed with SEO, marketing tools to keep you top of mind with guests, and of course, the patented interactive menu technology. This new recipe brings automated phone answering to the table, brings third-party online order aggregation, waitlisting, and more. PopMenu's phone answering technology, for example, you heard it here uh, demoed on this show just a few weeks ago. That technology has your ringing phones covered, right? With the computer, it's artificial intelligence. The simple questions that usually keep your phone uh, tied up can now be handled by the computer without pulling a staff member away from your in-person hospitality. So no more missed calls, missed reservations, no more wasted time where people are asking for your hours, no more orders or missed revenue. That's just the beginning. You have a passion for food, Pop Menu has a passion for technology. Together, it's a recipe for restaurant success. Now, even more digital ingredients are in their technology pantry, and Pop Menu is helping restaurants attract, engage, remarket, and transact with their guests on a whole new level. Trust me, if you're a restaurant owner, you need Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy to claim this offer. Again, that's $100 off your first month by visiting popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy. That link is in the show notes. Again, showing a Steelers fan a picture of a bunch of fans in Steelers garb. That's emotional because we remember all the highs and the lows and I'm a fan and my friends and my and my father and my, we, we start, all of that's there and we didn't do anything except show them something that they're more apt to resonate, resonate with. I, I, I love it. I mean, I just, I think this is, I think this is where we're going. I think personalization is, um, uh, I mean, it's already here. Uh, food, uh, the the food world, the restaurant industry is always uh, woefully behind the times. Um, you know, I always say like when I'm on the JetBlue site looking for flights, and then because JetBlue is tracking my activity, and then they send me emails based on my search activity, or they're sending. I'm looking at a tropical vacation, and they'll send me other tropical destinations. <laughs> I, I obviously didn't buy the ticket, right? They know that. They know whether I, you know, made it to the thank you page or not whether I made it to the confirmation. And so they can send me stuff either, hey, here's to get ready for your trip, and now they know where I'm going, or hey, here's some other places you might be interested in, or here's some other reasons why you might wanna book that trip. I just think, I think that's good. I think that's just smart business. Yeah, very, very much so. The one other element, to, you know, maybe to bring to this conversation, I mean, personalization is definitely, it's been a buzzword probably for the last two to three years even, right? I mean, yep. I hear now hyper-personalization, right? How do you get even, you know, more intense around personalization? But there is one important factor, right? And and I think this is where restaurateurs, the, the restaurant tech industry in particular needs to really start embracing as well, which is kind of this element of, um, you know, I hate to use the word data science because that sounds really hard, right? But in fact, it becomes the easiest unlock to the brand, right? The, the power of taking, let's say, a bunch of data, like in the wings scenario, a bunch of data, right, that's categorized by brand affinity, right? And then being able to yeah. kind of spin it, right, in a way to create, let's call it, you know, look-alike audiences or, or, or ways in, in which there's similarities, right? That is extremely hard to do, right, without yep. algorithms, right, and, and data science capabilities. And what I, you know, want to encourage, you know, every restaurateur to be thinking about is that's easily accessible today for them, quite frankly, right? You know, we, as a, as a good example, we have a lot of pre-built models, mm -hmm. right? Which you can just plug your data into and then output, you kind of, you get exactly what you need. It drives scale, it drives accuracy, right? It drives prediction, right? Being able to predict, not react. Those are all interesting elements, I think, to really hit personalization out of the park, right? It's not just to like get your first run, but like how do you really get it out of the park and, and hit up? Oh yeah, yeah. I, and 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 again, I think this is we're just at the edge of a giant ocean, and um, and I don't think so. What's going to happen? What I was going to say is that I don't think our industry realizes 
how quickly the tide's going to come yeah. in or go out, however you want to do this analogy. I think other industries are doing it right. We talk about Netflix, right? Netflix has their algorithm. They know what you watch, what you like, how much you watch of what, what your, you know, what the bingeability. They know if you watched one episode or five episodes. They they understand if there's staying power with that thing and they know how to put things in front of you that you're most apt to enjoy to stay on the thing. YouTube's got this right, right? They just keep showing you videos that you're apt to like and TikTok obviously has optimized this so they'll you'll see things that you like. Amazon is so good at this. The, now the airlines, hotels are getting better at this. It's just, and e-commerce has been great at this for you know the really great e-commerce sites. Everyone else is now down the road, right? They're, they're down the field and they're running and picking up speed. And I find that a lot of the our industry isn't even thinking about this or talking about this. So you say, okay, personalization has been a buzzword for two to three years. I don't think it has been a buzzword in uh, in our industry uh, at all. I think it's something that some people are talking about. Um, but I and I think the the ability or the the inability to take action on it is what keeps people because famously, especially independent operators. They're wearing a lot of hats. They're the marketer, they're the GM, they're the HR manager, they're the chef, they're the, they do everything. They're the plumber, they're the, you know, they do everything. And so to do, to put on one more hat, to do something that feels uncomfortable, that feels foreign, that's that's maybe sort of difficult to do, is just like, a, it's a bridge too far. I want to use that. Yeah to go back and talk about the platform itself and to better understand specifically what you guys are doing. How is it a dashboard? Is it a, it plugs into all your, all your stuff. It calls back all the data and then what it literally, how does a, how would a restaurant owner um, use, utilize interface with, uh, with bright? Sure. Maybe I'll take you through the experience, right? If, if someone said, Hey, I'm ready to tackle this. I need to do personalization, right? I have to start my journey. Um, this would be, you know, let's let's say the experience, you know, in, in signing up with a platform like like ours, like Brightboom. Um, the first piece of our platform is really assessing the data piece, right? To the beginning conversation we had, which is, am I collecting the right data? Are there issues with my data, right? We offer things like a data health report, right? Where we'll, within an hour, give you back kind of a full assessment of, how good is your data, right? Is this going to be a problem for you mm -hmm. as you go down this journey or not? Are there some easy things you can go do now to fix? Once we've done that, then, um, and the data is, is, is actually within the platform, uh, we do have connections. Again, we're trying to make this really, really, really easy for brands. We've got data connections that automatically bring in all the right data, right? And transform it. And no one has to do anything but log into Brightloom and look at a few different areas. We've got... Um, kind of a, uh, an area which gives top value actions, which is actually, I think, where most brands live today, which is based on all the data, right, that, that Brightloom has collected and connected. What are four or five things I could go do today to be athletic with the shifts and the trends in my data, right? And most of that is centered around personalization, but it could be other things too, right? If, if churn rates are going the wrong way or you know, some of the key KPIs are, are not trending in the right direction. We're there to kind of support the very busy restaurateur to say, hey, here's one thing. If you could go do one thing to help create a better relationship with your customer, this is the thing we would tell you to go do. Yeah. So so talk to me about that. Then, So on a day-to-day, -day, so you look at the data, you, you know, all that recommendations are made. Like what? Can you give me some examples? And, and then how might, uh, what are the ways in which... Uh, a restaurant owner in this case um, would or could go take action on those things? Sure. So we, I think, I like to think of it in terms of categories of customers, right? So let's say if we know the top 5% of your customers, right, are very critical to your organization and the trends there, um, a recommendation might be that some of your most frequent customers have lapsed. Okay. They haven't been up to the normal stance. And so we might recommend an offer to them that based on the data would say, there's a high probability that this offer will bring them back and get them back on, on the train. That would be one easy example. Um, and how is that recommendation made? Is that pulled from past campaigns saying other consumers who were in a similar situation and shown a similar, uh, an offer like this uh, came back. How does how does that 
How does that happen? How are the recommendations made? So our models, again, they're proprietary. You know, they're very, they're very, um, oh, sure, sure, very sure. specific. But we're looking at two things. We're looking at both the individual customer and their history, right, and the predictive state within our models there. But then we're also measuring them against other people that maybe have the same patterns, right, to see what did they do. And then our models kind of bring those two things together and give one recommendation back to the brand to say, hey, this is the the way in which our models are indicating could change their behavior. And so it might be something like send them this kind of offer and you've got the, so you segment the list and you send a targeted campaign email to this group of 2000 people or 500 people or whatever that is. Exactly. Or it could be even make a product recommendation, right? Um, Perhaps there's um, something new on the menu, right? Where you've got other people that look similar, right? Taking those same type of uh, recommendations around products and, and you offer them that product recommendation and it brings them back. Those would be two good examples. Yeah, great. Um, so they come in, they check, a restaurateur would check in on this every day, once a week, once a month. How does, a, how does frequency play into this and how much, um, how much oversight is required here to be able to, to get the most out of it? Yeah. I mean, I would say it depends, right, on the on the type of, of customer that you have and the frequency, the average frequency. Um, for a lot of brands with higher frequency, they're logging in every a few times a day, right, to say what has changed, has shifted, what are the recommendations, right, what are the trends. Okay. In other scenarios, you might, you know, think about even running a few, one or two personalized campaigns, right, using our data. And therefore, you'd be measuring the success of those campaigns based on the data that we recommended. So I, I would say it varies based on frequency and based on based on the number of actual customer uh, engagements you're doing, let's say, through the various channels. Can you give me an example? Again, I said this earlier, you know, your, your, your value, I think, um, is that you get to peek behind the curtain. Uh, at a lot of different companies, uh, mm-hmm. you get to speak with a lot of other people who are uh, succeeding, other people who are struggling, and so you get a, I think, a really um, a good vantage point. You get a good a good view from your from your seats. Can you give some examples of? Um, you've already shared a couple, which I appreciate, but some other examples of how people have been surprised or have taken data that they've gotten, taken recommendations they've gotten that, again, that surprised them, that they might not have realized any other way. And they said, oh, I didn't realize that. And this is then what they did and to what effect? Today, we see a a lot of trend uh, analysis around discounts, right? There are restaurateurs that do give discounts. Oftentimes, it's kind of one discount kind of blasted out, right, to all the customer contact information that they have in hopes that it brings them back, right? And maybe there's some interesting segmentation. Maybe it's a you know a customer that's triggering something, right? But you know we really want to try and get brands away from that. And so a good example might be, um, I am a brand who does offer discounts as a means to create frequency, right? But with some customers, that discount actually isn't changing their behavior, right? So why do I continue to give them discount mm-hmm. if it doesn't matter, right? So I think that's another good example. Sometimes brands are throwing money, right, when they don't need to. Yeah. And I think especially in, in the current time period we're in, discounts matter. You got you to gotta use your discount dollars on the right customers that really are going to change their behavior based on it and not the entire spectrum of customer. And I think that's another really good use case where brands are really using our modeling today to say, here are the customers where discount really matters, and those are the customers I'm gonna have a right-sized offer for. Yeah. These customers, I don't need to waste that dollars. I'm gonna encourage them through other ways. It's really funny because, so I said this earlier in the, in the episode, and I'll sort of come back around to it, is that my my real struggle uh, over the last couple of years has been getting every single restaurant to collect uh, email addresses and utilize those on at least uh, a weekly basis, at least. And I think you can uh, justify sending two, sometimes even three emails a week, uh, given given the concept. Um, yeah. And I want people to do that. 
because very quickly that's not going to be enough. And like you said, blasting a list of 5,000 names, 10,000 names, 50,000 names with the same message just isn't going to work anymore. And, you know, we now have the ability to segment our list on a, a, on a variety of criteria and um, diversify the messaging and send, like you said, the right message to the right person at the right time. And so when we talk about data points, you talk about data science, and I want to, and I want to talk more about that, but we've had this, right? We know, I know when to talk to my wife about something that she's not going to want to talk about. I know the right time and the wrong time uh, to talk with her uh, about that. I just, I know that customer and I know, <laughs> and I know how that customer is going to react. It's no different with the, all the other thousands and thousands of people who, who we interact with and we engage with. We just have a responsibility to get to know them better. And I think What's going to happen is the consumers, and this has to do with, you know, again, tide going in, tide going out, however we want to look at the analogy, is that so many other brands have already realized that so many other industries are already using that to their um, to their benefit, and they're way down the field on us. And pretty soon, it's going to feel archaic to get a, a blast email, you know, with obviously a flat, you know, single message from a, from a company, uh, rather than a, a more personalized message. Um, I just, it's, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. And let me almost flip this a little bit and say the danger, right? That you could be creating for yourselves. If you don't, if I'm a vegan, right. And you keep peppering me with meat products, right. Yep. I'm probably going to turn you off. Yep. Right. If I only drink oat milk, right. I'm lactose intolerant and I only drink oat milk, like market to me, like, you know, that, right. And that, you know, those just simple product recommendations, right? Making sure it is a product that resonates for them in the in the buying behaviors and patterns they've already provided you, right? I think is almost an obligation at this point and could be actually impacting you in, in more negative ways than, than brands even realize. It's uh, I I think it's a really I think it's a really great point. And I think in in time and in the not too distant future. I think consumers are just gonna switch off because they're gonna come to expect a certain level of personalization. They're gonna, and we already, and we already sort of do, right? Like we always joke mm -hmm. around, I, I joke with my wife, we'll be, you know, I'll sit on the couch and I'm scrolling through. And you know that thing, right? When, you know, I'll say, oh, my wife is like, oh, are you shopping for, uh, you know, bathing suits? And she's like, oh yeah, why? I was like, well, cause it's showing up. Cause obviously our, our IP address was pinged. <laughs> I get it. She's, she's shopping for, you know, a bathing suit on the other side of the couch and, and that's fine. They, they can only get so good. I get it. Um, but then other <laughs> times when they show when you see really wrong stuff, you're like, this is not anything I've ever been interested in. I ever will be interested in. I don't think my wife is interested in this. And we realize that's going to happen more and more. Mm -hmm. Like, that's going to happen less and less. And so what's going to happen more and more is people are going to get frustrated um, and not stand for it when it, when it does happen. Yeah. And it can be simple. Like I've, I've said many times, right? Just putting the right product in front of the, from in front of your customers, knowing, showing that you know them, right. And that you're adhering to yeah. their, uh, the things that matter to them is, is, is it, it can be simple. And we just got to take the first yeah, for sure. And again, this is something I think we've gotten good at doing in the restaurants. We're good at recognizing people. Oh, that's Joe. He's a regular. He likes to sit over here. He always gets this martini. We always, you know, there's, it, it's, we take pride in that being in, in the service industry, right? I know what my friends like to drink. I, when I have my friends over to my house, I make sure I have things that I know they're going to like. It's the same thing in the restaurant. When we look at our reservation yeah. book, we know who's coming in. We know. And so now it's just a matter of how do we utilize that? Um, that information to make it known that we know you, we care about you. I care so much. I care enough to do this and, and to speak with you uh, at, at a certain level. I just, I think it's a really cool thing. And I guess that's where I'm going with, and I'm sure this is sort of what you guys believe, but like, it's a way for us to create a more hospitable experience than we ever could have imagined 10, 20, 50, 200 years ago. And I think it's a really cool thing. And if we don't do that, if we don't take advantage of it, it's like shame on us. That's right. It's right here. Talk to me about 
data science. You were so scared to talk about it because you think it's really nerdy and it's going to scare people away. And maybe it will, but they've hung on this long. So it's cool. I'm going <laughs> to trust that they'll keep going to the end of the interview. Talk about data science because you've sort of got a big background in this. I think um, you, we could certainly geek out a lot about this, but mm -hmm. talk to me about how people should be thinking about it or how the, the world is going and how we, we should be prepared to think about it. I think for me, you know, data, data science is so exciting because it unlocks a few things. One is it enables scale. I mean, it's impossible to work through a whole bunch of data and records without data science. You have to build anomalies, similarities. You have to build models that not only understand the data, but can create without needing a lot of manual intervention that can actually create some sort of output output or visualization. That's one piece. The second piece I you know I, I think data science is so so interesting is that it takes people from a reactive state, looking at things that have already happened, yep. right? Yep. And it puts it forward, which means what's going to happen, right? Yep. If data science is really working for a brand, you never get the churn, right? Because you, you caught the churn before it was about to happen, yeah. right? That is the power of data science. And, um, you know, I, I think for so long, it's been, you know, a big data and all these big companies and you have to spend millions of dollars on it, right? I think of data science now as, as almost like a button, right? That, that, that a brand should be able to push that gives them all the attributes of data science, but comes to them in an easy to understand methodology. Yep. And that is definitely, you know, part of our mission here. I think when you say scale, I think people get scared because they just like you said, it's like, oh, that's millions of dollars. And I'm not Coca-Cola. I'm not Denny's. I'm not Wendy's. But there is scale in all of our restaurants because at the breakfast rush at the, the, the breakfast rush at the bodega, you know, I've, I used to live in the city. I recently moved out of New York City. But the little bodega that was right by the subway every time I went to the city, there was a breakfast rush. They would probably do, I don't know, 300 customers, 300 covers getting breakfast sandwiches in the course of an hour and 15 or an hour and a half there. I mean, no joke. It was like, and they were a machine. That, that's scale. Like that's, you know, and, and if we have a restaurant where we do 100 covers a day, that's 700 covers a week. That's, I mean, thousands and thousands of covers um, that we do every single year. And there is scale there. They're all different people that um, that follow different trends that have things in common and uh, other dissimilarities from the, the other people dining with them. Yeah, it's so true. I think of it even, you know, in the software industry for so long, people had to actually write their own code, right? Not only just kind of mm -hmm. copy and yeah. paste, right? I mean, that's kind of where we're getting now with data science. It's very similar in the sense that a lot of the models have already been established, right, from, for years, even in some of the biggest brands you know. Now it's easy to kind of replicate those for, you know, a brand of a few thousand customer records, yep. right? I mean, then you can, it's all relevant, yep. right? Because you don't have the team to actually make use of the data, yep. Yep. right? So you need the data science to make it enabled. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's really interesting and we can, you know, we can make a pie chart out of our customer base. Like you said, there's there's significant data that shows um, uh, that a, a meaningful percentage of your yearly revenue comes from a very small subset of your customers. And it doesn't feel like they're spending that much money with you or that they're there all that much. But then when you add it all up, it does. I mean, this is what we talked with Professor Fader yeah. about uh, when he was on the show. And he says, no, there's, th and we run this over and over and over again. Yeah. And we find, you know, 5% of your customer base is responsible for anywhere between 20 and 40% of your revenue, which is a significant, very meaningful number. Mm -hmm. um, and wouldn't it be nice to know who those people are so we can get to know them better and find more people just like them? Mm -hmm. It's, it's so interesting and it makes me think about, you know, when talking to brands day in and day out, you know, sometimes the data science attributes, they don't believe, right? Because they've, because everyone has created their own 
understanding, right? Their intuition. No, this is the way it's always been, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes yep. the beauty yep. Yep. of just letting technology tell you, right? Really what's happening yeah. without any any of your own thinking, right? Can actually be extremely powerful. And you often find things that you didn't necessarily know um, that could be really relevant to what you go do next. It's so true. I always um, I always use this example. So I'm I'm not I'm not good at math. I'm just I've never been good at math. I'm, it does not come easily to me. And so when I went back to business school, and it, it was like that was statistics was my first course was my first class back, and it did not it did not. And you know after whatever twenty years of being out of school and all that, it was just it was I was a long way I was a long way from home, and. Um, but I always say this, it's like the numbers don't lie. They never do. Right. And they'll, they, they tell a story if you know, um, if you know how to use them. Uh, one of my professors in school says, right, the way to get really good answers is to get good at asking really good questions. And the data never tells you what to do. It just tells you where you should be looking. It tells you the kind of questions you should be, you should be asking. And so um, any sort of insight is just a recommendation is just a you know just a a red circle on the page you know you ultimately get to make the decision um, but the data is really good at drawing your attention to things you wouldn't have otherwise known because again goes back to this we're emotional um we're um, we can only be at one place at a time um i always sort of struggle with my clients uh, to tell them, so we don't make decisions based on anecdotal evidence. Like <laughs> they say, yeah, yeah, but you don't know. I mean, I was I was in the restaurant last night, and I, you know, I there were three different tables. Like, oh. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> it just happened to be that the time that you were there and the three tables you happened to see. But when we print out a much larger data set, we get a more complete picture. And look at this, and it's um, it's so true. It's it's the power of of big data, however you define that, um, whether it's a thousand people or a hundred thousand people or a hundred million people, um, it tells when, when all lumped together, it tells a more complete story. It's so true. So we're coming to the end of our time. And I want to obviously be respectful of, uh, of you and what must be a very busy day. Um, I want you to, as, as we close out, tell people where they can go learn more about uh, about Brightloom, what you guys are doing and what sort of solution it provides and all that. Yeah, um, you know, certainly you can check us out at brightloom.com. We've got a lot of interesting information there and resources. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to, to share with your, your viewers is that we've got a new and interesting data health report, right? So if, if, if what you heard today is exciting to you, but also makes you very nervous, right? And you don't know if you're really ready, right? If you really want to take this, this on, uh, we offer a free data health report where we'll actually take some of your data and we'll assess it for you. And we'll let you know where maybe your blind spots are, whether, you know, what kind of ROI you would actually see. And you'll get some pretty interesting insight just right out of the gate around where your customers are, how your contactability looks, what kind of things you could do even to, to potentially drive some additional loyalty. And uh, I'd love to offer it to your to your viewers here as a first step. Oh, that's cool. So, and that's free. Free, yeah, do it for free. Oh, that's cool. I mean, that seems like a like an easy first step. And uh, you'll share that. Uh, so uh, Kelly will give me that, uh, that URL. We'll make sure the link will be in the show notes uh, so you can click right to it. That's cool. Yeah. I didn't know you were gonna do that. Awesome. <laughs> um, you've got an audience full of uh, owners, operators, chefs, marketers, you know, people who are just up to their ears in the restaurant space. Um, final words of wisdom uh, for this group that's been to hell and back over the last, let's say, three years. Yeah, there is a silver lining. I think that's what I'll, I'll start with. There is a silver lining here. And all of I know the uphill components you've been dealing with, you know, for the last few years. Your data is the most precious item you have as a restaurateur. And it's really it will benefit you in so many ways from a customer relationship to a revenue perspective. If you start the journey of unlocking the data and getting closer and closer to a more personalized engagement story with your customers, um, you know, you will see 
an immense amount of, of impact and success there. You just got to start the journey. And I would say it's incremental, right? This isn't, you go from zero to hero, right? I always say chunkify it, right? Chunkify your journey, right? Just take a sliver at a time, right? Just start the journey and just work itty bitty pieces. Eventually you'll get there, right? And you'll, you'll look back and go, wow, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I love that. It's the, it's the James clear, right? The atomic habits thing. Just, just chunk it. Um, I I love it. Um, this has been a really great conversation. Um, I love this. Uh, I love, uh, I love what you guys are building over there. I appreciate you taking the time to be here. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Chip. This was fun. Yeah, my pleasure. Once again, I want to thank Kelly uh, for taking time out of her day to speak with me. I want to thank all of you for taking time out of your day to be here and listen to this conversation. I hope you got value out of it. Uh, as I mentioned during the uh, interview, uh, we've included the link in the show notes. Uh, so go check it out. Do this uh, Do this checkup. See what's, uh, see what's going on. I hope you uh, got some uh, good takeaways from today's show. I appreciate it. And uh, I will see you next time. <laughs>